Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Happy Easter, everyone. Excited today. uh, We're launching our So Much More series here at Banner Church. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Banner. And honestly, it has been such a fun morning. And I'm believing God to do uh, some more incredible things. Amen. And man, this this has been a really cool thing. When you came in, you might have seen we have these cool hats out there that the team put together. Uh, You can snag one of these on your way out there free. Go grab one and uh, wear it in the pool because it's almost pool weather, Uh, which I don't know if we're excited or not excited. I'm personally excited about it. Uh, Yes, I'm excited. We're excited. Uh, but also, man, this whole series that we're going to launch into even starting today is called So Much More because we are believing for so much more for your life, uh, for your identity, for your future, for your relationships, and for your family through Jesus Christ. And the reason we say so much more is because we believe that God has great things uh, for you through, um, through the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And a lot of what we we see in life and um, even in the ups and downs of life, there is so much more possible through Christ. There's more healing. There's more restoration. There's more freedom, and it's all possible through him. And so we're going to tackle some awesome stuff. We're going to talk about identity. We're going to talk about uh, relationship and marriages. We're going to talk about family. And our kids team has done an amazing job putting these boxes together called So Much More. Not only do we have a group on Wednesday nights here that's going to be developing a family discipleship plan, Uh, for you to disciple your children. If you don't know this, the world uh, has a plan to disciple your children. You should have a plan to disciple your children. Just a thought. and, uh, but we put together these boxes, and it's so much more for the family. And they're back in our kids' space. When you open it up, it just says very simply, the best investment we can make for our family is time spent together with Jesus Christ. And they did an incredible, there's a little card that says start here, and it walks you through every element in that box. And basically what it does, it gives you a chance once a week to sit down with your kids of uh, varying age ranges and begin to have conversations about faith in a fun way. And so it's really simple. It's not a huge burden, but we want to empower you as we're believing so much more for your family through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. I don't know when you came in, uh, if you checked your kids in, they're doing this like glow-in-the-dark Easter egg hunt. It's, cr- it's bananagrams down there. Uh, I, I love uh, seeing like Easter through the eyes of my kids. I saw some families were out there taking photos. We got some people before and after service taking family photos. So go out there, grab a photo. Uh, but I just love seeing the excitement of my kids. And I think whether or not you have kids or don't have kids, there's something fun about seeing experiences through their perspective. They, they, they see things in such a fun way. Like, I don't know if you guys have been to the zoo, but here in Phoenix, when you go into the zoo, you go like kind of straight forward and there's like the big giraffe exhibit and you can walk up this like stairway and you can be like giraffe head heights. Uh, it, it's pretty cool. But, you know, if you're an adult, you know, the problem with adults is eventually we become a little cynical. And we're like, yeah, I've seen, I know what a giraffe looks like. Like, yay, it's 90 degrees, let's go, right? It's hot. I don't want to carry all your stuff. Like, I'm not your Sherpa, right? You know? But my kids, they get to the zoo, and they're like, oh, my gosh. They're like, look at that thing. Look at it. Right? They're like, they're blown away. Why? Because their perspective is incredible. 
They look at things, and so I begin to look at things from their perspective. Like, that is actually amazing that that animal is 90% neck. That's impressive. It fights using its head and doesn't have CTE, right? It doesn't have to go into concussion protocol after every battle. It's amazing. Uh, and so I begin to look with fresh perspective when I kind of see the same thing I've seen over and over and over and over again, but with a new perspective. And today is Easter, and some of you, uh, maybe you, you've never been to church on Easter, but even if you've never been, you're probably coming with an expectation about how today's going to go. Maybe you have a little church background. Maybe you grew up in a different kind of church, and so you go to Easter, and you do the rhythms, and you're expecting it. We're going to talk about probably Jesus. That might be your expectation. Maybe you're not sure, but we all come in with expectations. Maybe you've been uh, to Easter services like a hundred times, just over and over. You're a hundred years old. Uh, <laughs> you've been over and over, and you've heard about it, and now you're like, okay, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm checking the box, uh, and, and even maybe have become a little cynical about it, but you're checking the box, you're doing the thing, and I just want to encourage you that today, I want to give you fresh perspective, because like my kids looking at the draft, they recognize how beautiful and amazing and incredible this thing is, and when I begin to look through their perspective, I'm like, wow, when I get fresh perspective. Easter Sunday is the most beautiful, incredible, life-changing thing. And so I want to encourage you just to receive fresh perspective. And to do it, now we're going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus. We're always looking at Jesus. We're looking at his example. We're looking at what he's done. But we're going to look from someone else's vantage point, someone else's perspective today. So today we're going to look at Jesus, but we're going to look at Jesus from the perspective, from the vantage point of someone named Barabbas. Someone say Barabbas. Barabbas. We're going to look with fresh perspective. But before we do that, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you as we're gathered here. I pray, God, would you open our hearts and our minds for those who even in this moment maybe feel even insecure in this space, God. They've never been in here. They're not sure what to expect. I pray just a peace upon them in this moment. And that as we read your word, they would recognize how great your love is for them. In your name, amen. So after three years of healing the sick, of preaching the gospel, of helping the hurting, of raising the dead, of sitting with the social outcasts, with the lepers, with the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the people on the outside. After three years of getting down into the mud with the people who are cast off and, and healing and lifting and saving, Jesus is betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples. And a lot of the Easter events that we talk about from Good Friday on begin in that moment that we talked on Good Friday, if you were here for that service, by Judas betraying Jesus and handing him over to the Jewish leaders who were upset that Jesus called himself the Son of God. And they took him to Roman authorities. Now, just some context before we jump into Luke chapter 23, because I want you to understand what we're peeking into, what we're looking here contextually, is that the Jewish people were under Roman rule in Judea, in the area. They were under Roman occupation. They were under Roman oppression, you might say. They would say that. 
And they had two major authorities. They had the Roman authority, who was called Pilate, and they had the Judean authority, who was called Herod. It's like federal and state level here. And so what happens is Jesus is arrested by these Jewish leaders who go like, hey, these religious leaders say, hey, we don't like this guy. We don't like what he's preaching. We, we think he's, he's saying he's the son of God. We don't like it. We got to get him out of here. And so they send him to these authorities. And basically these authorities can't understand why he was arrested beyond just they're envious of him. And so they keep sending him back and forth. The other day, I was trying to get cable installed into my house, which, if you didn't know, is a full-time job. Basically, their goal is for you to be home enough, long enough, that you end up just working for them, and now they have more cable installers. And so uh, what happened was, as I was on the phone over and over, they just kept transferring me to someone else who didn't know, and I would have to tell them the whole thing over and over again. Be like, no, listen, the guy was supposed to come out Thursday, and he didn't come out Thursday, and then he came out, supposed to come out Friday, and he changed it to someone else. And now he's not out here, and it's Saturday, and my air conditioning runs on Wi-Fi, and we don't have internet, and it's about to be 96. So eventually, uh, a nice lady named Kathy, not her real name, and I bonded over the fact that we both live in places opposite ends of the globe that are quite warm and she could appreciate my predicament not having air conditioning. <laughs> Kathy and I are friends now. <laughs> so Jesus is transferred back and forth. They cannot figure out what he has done that the Jewish leaders are demanding he be put to death. Put to death. Kill this guy for us. Why? Uh, he says some stuff we don't like. I don't know if that works that way. <laughs> so Jesus is brought out to the platform of Pilate's house because the Jews won't go in because it's Passover. And if they go into this unclean fellow's house, they'll be unclean. They can't take Passover. So they're just gathering as a crowd and slowly getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger outside Pilate's house. And it says in Luke chapter 23, we're going to jump to that scripture together. If you have your Bibles, crack them open. Luke 23. If not, the words will be on our screen because our incredible tech team has done a great job prepping them. It says, Luke 23, verse 13. It says, Pilate then called together the chief priests and rulers of the people, these Jewish authorities that handed Jesus over. And he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against them. It says, neither did Herod, the Judean authority, for he sent him back to us. Look, Nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him, which is an odd twist of justice. He hasn't done anything, but we'll give him a good beating so you feel good about it. Like, <laughs> strong, okay? It's a weird flex, but he did it. And, they, and this is their response in verse 18. He says, I found nothing wrong with him, but I'll beat him and release him. And it says, but they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. And then there's this little aside here. A man, Barabbas, is a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, a, re a rebellion against Rome. Started in the city, so an insurrection in Jerusalem. And for murder. So says, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. So a third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. Hear me. 
Pilate says, I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. He released Barabbas, for whom they had asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Powerful moment. We only see Barabbas in this brief moment of Scripture, and yet it is a profound moment of Scripture. It's mentioned in every gospel. Profound moment of Scripture where Barabbas is released. Who is Barabbas? What's happening here? Well, Mark's gospel tells us that it was custom practice for the Romans to release a prisoner at feast time, some kind of way to appease them. And so usually this prisoner would be someone that would appease them, so probably not like the town rapist. It's usually someone who had been involved in insurrections or rebellions against Rome. We would call them political prisoners. And so they're going to release someone to them. They're going to pardon them, someone who was falsely accused, which the Romans were really good at doing. And so they pick this, they have this prisoner that the people call and ask for. They say, no, no, we want Barabbas. So they know him by name. Decently infamous, right? People know him. They want Barabbas. He says, Barabbas was a prisoner who committed murder in the insurrection. And now, if you've seen like any uh, Bible-y movies, this guy is always portrayed as this like gross barbaric, like, criminal. I was just watching The Passion. He's like, like, he comes out with chains, like, like he's in, like, a haunted house, and he's like, like, it's, it's this hilarious, like, character of this person, which could have been true. We don't know, though. We only know that he was involved in an insurrection, and that during that insurrection, he killed somebody. There are things we can't know and can't know about Barabbas. We can know some things biblically, contextually, and historically in context as well. We know that Barabbas was, uh, grew up under Roman oppression. He grew up as a Jew. His name, Barabbas, literally means son of the father, which is a whole other sermon in itself. We don't got time for that. <laughs> but let's just talk about the contrast of son of the father and the son of the father on the same platform. And we know contextually, you know, in history that the Jewish people were in constant revolt against the Roman Empire. They were constantly, I talked about it last week, that in 70 AD, yet to come, uh, Titus is going to besiege Jerusalem and literally tear down the walls and go through and just absolutely decimate the temple because he is so over their tax revolts, to which will lead to two more tax revolts, so I guess didn't work. But they are in constant revolt. And um, just previously, before this moment, historically we have record that there was a budget shortage. And so Pilate, to fix the budget shortage in the area, had his troops go in and pillage the temple of all of its important and uh, expensive elements, all of its treasury that went in and they pillaged it, which led to a insurrection and a revolt, right? And... Uh, in that insurrection, that revolt, a lot of Judeans, Galileans, a lot of uh, Romans, a lot of Roman citizens were killed. There was a big uh, conflict 
immediately before this moment. So Pilate's already on thin ground because of an insurrection that has occurred with the Jewish people rising up. And so we don't know if this was the insurrection that Barabbas was a part of, but given that it had happened like right before this, and he's in prison, and they know him by name, seems close. We could at least say it's close. Something like this, right? They, were ha they happened every five years, so it's kind of like it's one of them. What we can know based on what we have is that Barabbas had taken it into his own hands with his own violence to free himself from the bondage of oppression only to be more oppressed, only to be more trapped, only to be found guilty and condemned to death. And this is an important note that Barabbas is distinctly listed by the writer of the gospel as guilty. Not like he could be guilty, he could have done it, he seems like a decent dude. No, it says he is guilty of crimes of which the punishment is death. He is guilty of crimes of which the punishment is death. Another way to say this is the consequence of his transgression is death. And so Barabbas, I, I can imagine, is sitting in his jail cell waiting his death. And I've never been in a Roman prison, but I can't imagine it's great. And so Barabbas is sitting in a hopeless place because he knows that in just a little bit, he is going to be crucified. Because the Romans crucified people who rebelled. It was, a, it was a clever tactic. Because crucifixion is one of the most violent, shameful ways that you can kill somebody. It is incredibly uh, cruel. It is an incredibly awful. It is incredibly shameful to basically be beaten, stripped naked, and hung to die outside of the city. And they did it as a tool to tell other people, do not rebel against us or this will happen. And they were really good. Like, they would have records for who could crucify the most people. Like, they were really oddly into this. <laughs> so Barabbas knows this is coming, right? Could you imagine sitting in that jail cell knowing at any moment this is happening, I'm going to suffer the most pain and the most brutal death because of my transgressions. And in that moment that he's in that jail cell, he hears because we know the crowd shouted, according to the word, the crowd shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And he's thinking, uh-oh, here it comes. It's like, this is it. This is, and he's just shaking. This is my moment. They're calling for me. And so he's brought out to the platform and what I think he expects to see is a crowd shouting against him, crucify him, crucify him. But what does he see? When Barabbas comes to the platform, he does not encounter violence, hatred, or disgust. He encounters the compassionate gaze of Jesus Christ, which had to be the most confusing moment of his life. See, Jesus is not looking at him with hate or disgust. Here is this man standing across from them who is bruised from being punched and beaten, who is staring at Barabbas, but he's not looking at him with hatred. He's not looking at him with disgust or violence. He's not looking at him like an outsider. He's not looking like at him like an urchin, like the lowest piece of dirt, like he's been looked at, like he's been treated like. He's looking at him with love. 
He's looking at him with the eyes that say the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, and Barabbas is lost. His soul is lost, and Jesus is looking at him. Can you imagine that moment? Of all the things Barabbas expected to find on the day of his execution, I doubt it was a loving, the loving eyes of Jesus Christ. Then he hears them say, crucify him. The curse that was meant for Barabbas is being heaped on Jesus. And he hears them say, he's innocent. And they say, no, crucify him. Barabbas says, I'm guilty, and he's innocent. And in that moment, they say, crucify him in Barabbas' place. And I just want you to imagine, if you can, being Barabbas in the absolute confusion of this moment. You're about to die the death that has been set before you for the consequence of your transgressions. He has committed murder. And according to justice, he deserves this in the Roman law. But in the moment that he is brought out to the platform, he encounters the loving eyes of this man standing here, meek but strong, loving and gentle but confident. And in that moment, the Romans take the shackles off of Barabbas, and instead this man, Jesus, is bound. And the one who is guilty, who should be put to death, is released. And the one who is innocent is taken and given the place of the guilty man. In Luke 23, 25, if you're still with me in your Bible, it says, He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Barabbas is released. He's released. The guilty man is released, and instead the guilty man watches the innocent man be flogged and beaten. The stripes, the beating, the abuse that is meant for Barabbas is put onto Jesus. Jesus takes it on himself, and he sees the cross, the twisted tree that is meant for his back that is meant to be his burden, that is meant to be his suffering, is taken and it is nailed to the innocent man. The cross that was his suffering is placed on the back of the Christ who is looking at him with love. If you can picture... Barabbas being freed and being released, he sees Jesus led away. The innocent man led to take his place, led to the place of the skull. And it says in Luke 23, verse 32, it says two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do.
And so Jesus is crucified, and he's hung between two thieves, two rebels, two criminals. Imagine if you're the freed man seeing the innocent man taken and placed in your spot. You were supposed to be there between two other insurrectionaries, between two other rebels, and they're standing there confused, like, wait a second, how are we up here, and he's up here, and this innocent guy is in Barabbas' place? I kind of thought Barabbas was going to be here. In Luke 23, verse 39, it says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me, in paradise. The thieves are like, wait a second. Why is this innocent man in a guilty man's place? One of them is angry. One of them is just like, I, I know this is wrong. I know that you are the Christ. And Jesus breathes his last on the cross. And he dies the death meant for Barabbas. Verse 46, it says, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. The chains, the nails, the cross, the execution, certainly it was not meant for this man. He was not guilty of it, but he took the place of another who was guilty. But this man was innocent. Why? You know, I don't know if Barabbas ever wondered why Jesus had taken his place, why those events transpired. We don't know, right? Anything would be conjecture. But I think if I was in Barabbas' place, I would want to know, why was this person who was sentenced to my death looking at me with compassion? Because if it's me, I'm pissed. Furious, right? Wait a second. I'm innocent, but I got to go through this? So why is Jesus, who, who is this guy, and why? Why does he take the place? The judgment that was meant for me was put on him. Who is this? And the answer to who is this is the most important answer of all time. This is Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. See, what Barabbas tried to overthrow by violence, Jesus came to free us through love. See, Barabbas tried to overthrow the oppression by violence, but Jesus came to free us of an even greater oppression of sin and death by the power of his love. And no one forced Jesus to take his place. No one forced Jesus to go to the cross. He did so willingly. He went to the cross. He died as an innocent man. And so much more, Jesus came as the innocent lamb to take our death, the punishment for our sins, the debt we could not pay the price we could not ever pay with our life. We are, we are not perfect. We cannot pay it. And Jesus came and took it. As Jesus stands on the platform taking Barabbas's place, he's taking the place for all of us. 
And when he goes to the cross, Barabbas' cross, it's not just Barabbas' cross, it's our cross. I'm going to invite the band up to play a song that I believe speaks to this truth. As they come on to read to you, famously John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Hear me today, everyone here and online. Jesus came to take our death and give us his life. Jesus came to take our death and give us his life. The result of sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. You can fight that. You can reject that. You can deny it, but it will still be true in the next moment as it is right now. The consequence of sin is death. None of us can overcome the power of death. And all of us have sinned, every single one of us. We are under the burden, the oppression of sin, a debt we cannot pay and cannot overcome. So Jesus came, and he took our place. See, sin is when we put ourselves in God's place. Salvation is when God came and put himself in our place. And he took our death so that by his power he could defeat death and give us life. And on Friday, on Good Friday service, we talked that Jesus took our death upon himself. But today we celebrate that he defeated death and brought us life. The Easter Sunday is the day we celebrate the death of death and our victory through him and our victory in Jesus Christ. Let's listen to these words today.
Today is the day we celebrate the death of death and our victory through Jesus Christ. Why I like looking through the eyes of Barabbas in this moment is because we are all Barabbas. Hear me today, we are all on that platform condemned by our own sin. And yet when Jesus looks at Barabbas, he's looking at me, he's looking at you with love and compassion in his eyes. Jesus came even for Barabbas. God so loved the world that he sent his son even for Barabbas, for the most broken, for the most outcast, for the ones the world would never expect. Why? Because we are bound. We have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short. All are under the oppression of sin. And like Barabbas, many have tried to shake themselves free to break the chains by their own hands only to end up in greater guilt and greater oppression. We're under the oppression of sin and of shame. Many are caught in addiction and suffering and anxiety and fear that stems from truly being lost in the depths of our soul. And what are you going to do? Say, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make my, I'm gonna get free somehow. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get myself free. I'm gonna shake myself free. I'm gonna get out of these chains. I'm gonna break them. No, you're not. You can't overcome the power of hell. You're no match for it. All that striving, all that effort. You're just gonna be another statistic. Say, well, I got grit. I got determination. I got attitude. It won't save you. There's only one answer. There's only one true source of freedom. There's only one who can take the chains that bind us. There's only one who can break the chains that, of our sin that has us in bondage. And it's the one who stood on the platform with Barabbas and said, let me take the chains for you. Let me take the pain for you. Let me take the cross for you. Let me take the death for you. For you, I will go to the cross so you can go free. Jesus says, give it to me. Cast it on me. I'll take it. Only I can take it. And yet how many times do we still not give it over to him? We look at the chains, the things that hold us down, and we say, no, I deserve this. I deserve this. I deserve these chains because what I have done, I deserve this. And Jesus says, no, give it to me. Let me have it. Give me the chains. Give me the guilt. Give me the shame. We say, no, Jesus, I'm guilty. Jesus says, I know. I know. But I came to save you. I came to rescue you because I love you. You cannot break them, but I can take them away from you. And Jesus takes our chains. When we give Jesus our chains, he takes them and he goes to the cross 
And we see the weight of sin upon him and his body is broken. And as we weep, as we see the innocent lamb, the king of kings, suffering in our place, we see him bear the curse. We see him die a criminal's death. And we see him lowered into the grave. And in that moment we think, see, nothing can help me. Nothing can overcome. I'm all, it's always going to be this way. It's always going to be stuck here in this darkness and this brokenness. See, I knew it. Nothing can help. But on the third day, on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, the earth shakes and the stone is rolled away. And inside, they do not find Jesus in his body, for he has risen. But you know what they do find? They find the grave clothes. They find the wrappings, the remnants of death and your sin left in the grave. It's not on you. It's in the grave. Luke 24, 1 says, On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Hear me today, church. He is risen. Jesus defeats death, defeats hell, defeats sin, rises again and says, come with me into new life. His word says, if anyone is in me, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That old shame that defined you, that's gone, the new has come. That old sin that bound you, that's gone, the new has come. That's gone, the new has come. See, the question today is not, do you have enough effort? The question today is not, do you have enough focus? Do you have enough discipline? The question is very simply, will you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you believe today that there is a God whose love is so vast and wide and deep and high that his love is so great for you that he looked at you on the platform and he said, give me your sins. And that he took them to the cross and he rose a new life and he now reaches out to you with nail-pierced hands, inviting you into healing and says, would you believe and come with me and receive new life, be made new. Some of you today have been stuck in the chains of sin and shame, and Jesus is reaching out to you today to say, receive new life. Receive new life. Would you stand with me? I want to pray over you today, and I want to give you a moment to respond wherever you are. So would you just bow your head and close your eyes? This is you and Jesus in this moment. The Word says, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. God wants to make you new today. I just want you to take a moment. You know those chains on your life, the sin and the shame in your life. Some of you never once have you ever laid those down. You've been carrying that burden and trying to break it by yourself and in so doing have been under an even greater sorrow and hopelessness. But today, Jesus Christ wants to say to you, give it to me and receive new life through my resurrection. Some of you here today, 
and you do the church thing, you do the Jesus thing, but you have not given him your chains, you stand on that platform and you say, no, these are mine. I have to fix it. I have to deal with it. And today he says, no, give it to me. So if you're here today and you want to receive hope for your future and healing for your past that comes through Jesus Christ, and you're willing to say, Jesus, I give you all of these chains. Take them from me and make me new. Right here in this moment, I just want you to lift your hand if you're saying, Jesus, make me new today. I want to receive the new life that comes through you. Thank you. Just lift it up, put it down. I want to pray over you today. You just need the Lord to break chains in your life. I'm praying. Over every person that raised their hand, we pray, Jesus, we need you to make us new. We give you all of our sin. We lay it at the foot of your cross. And today we receive the hope and healing of your resurrection. The old is gone, the new has come. I pray over you today, if you have felt bound, I pray right now as you are on the platform with Jesus, as he says to you, give me your chains, that you would give it to him. Every bitterness, every hurt, every pain that you would surrender it to him i pray healing over your heart and your life by the power of the holy spirit i pray restoration over your joy and over your life i pray a peace over your family i pray a healing over your relationships in jesus christ because it is the death of death that has brought you victory in the name of jesus christ this morning thank you for listening to the banner church podcast We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.